The very first World Series of Board Gaming is taking place next year, September 2022, in Las Vegas. And Roll for Crit is giving you the chance to participate. All you have to do is rate and review the Roll for Crit podcast on iTunes. Then send us an email to rollforcrit at gmail.com with the subject line WSBG Contest confirming that you left said review. On November 11th, we'll be choosing one random winner to receive a $250 coupon code good for a one-ring event ticket to the championship. Or you can use that code to upgrade to a multi-event package. This could be your moment. Don't let it slip through your fingers. Full details at rollforcrit.com contest. Welcome to the Roll for Crit podcast. Your favorite place, I think, on the internet to learn about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, all those types of things. We are going to be discussing the latest news, what we've been playing, so many more goodies from the world of tabletop gaming. So thanks for listening. My name is Jonathan Estes. And I'm his co-host, as always, Will. Sometimes Steven. (laughs) Who also doesn't have a... I was trying to get you to do the last name, too. I thought we would go in on that together. (laughs) uh and that is my full name there okay. is no last name you're like share okay <laughs> it's not like a secret it's on our website uh well at any rate we are the hosts of the roll for Crit podcast and obviously we're in sync uh in everything that we do and say and this week is very exciting because normally at the start of every show we roll a d20 to see how the show is going to do in theme with our title of course rolling for crit uh, things are a little bit different this week. We're, we're switching up the formula just a tad. We're still going to be rolling a D20. However, on our latest Patreon episode, we created a character, an actual D&D character f- using D&D Beyond to represent us th- during the show. So whereas before our die rolls were vague, metaphorical in the ether, didn't really mean much outside of the meaning we assigned to them. Now we have a character who's going to be making these roles. Uh, We have named him Roland F. Criterion. And he is going to be going on all kinds of adventures uh, for us. He is an Asimar bard. And right now he's only level one, but we'll see. Maybe he'll get stronger as as the show continues. If you want to hear the full details, all his stats and equipment, Uh, It's on our Patreon page, but otherwise, that's really, that's the gist of what you need to know. So what's happening this week, our our, our challenge this week that Roland has to overcome, uh, we're going to start off simple. Our podcast is being attacked by a podcast goblin. So I'm going to need Will uh, to to taking on the role of Roland to choose how he's going to deal with this goblin. I mean, obviously, you could attack it. but you know, it's it's up to you. Well, uh, podcast goblins, you know, they're uh-huh. very well known for being uh, focusing on more um, aggressive podcasting, like uh, almost trolling. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, I think, like any podcast, what we want to do is we want to uh, play our music in such a way that it blasts out his headphones and ruins his equipment. Oh, okay. All right. Great. So uh, then that's obviously going to be a performance check. <laughs> you're playing your music and you're clearly playing to your char- our character's strengths because uh, he's really good with charisma being a bard. Uh, so go ahead and roll that d20. Not so great on rolling. Mm. Does that mean that you rolled is... bad? 
<laughs> okay, no, I thought I rolled a six. It's a nine, a little better. Hey, but our performance is <laughs> our charisma is a plus six, uh, or it's a plus four. Both, but we have uh, proficiency in uh, performance, so uh, that makes that a fifteen, which I think is just enough to pop off the headphones of this podcast goblin and scare him away to ensure that we have a great show. Isn't this fun? I'm already enjoying this. So, <laughs> so, uh, so that's what happened. Stay tuned for more adventures uh, of Roland. Uh, but we, we have not just Roland's this week with us. We have another adventurer joining our party. That's because our guest is a photographer and videographer. Uh, you probably know him from his board game reviews and tutorials on his own YouTube channel and the Dice Tower and uh, his podcast revamped. This week, we're welcoming to the show Tim Chewin. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Hey guys, good to be here. I was hoping for a higher role on that on that podcast goblin. I was like, ugh, gotta get higher than ten than last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It uh, you know, it was lower. <laughs> but but now that we have this, you know, now that we have this system, we basically built a way for us to ma- feel less bad about our <laughs> poor roles. I like that. Or we're gonna feel worse when he fails miserably. <laughs> yeah yeah one way or the other it'll happen uh we're glad that you're with us today tim you do awesome awesome stuff visually that i can't even my brain can't even comprehend how you make things look so pretty oh, <laughs> thanks, guys. I'm just, uh, just trying out a couple things here and there we'll see if it works or not <laughs> yeah well it looks it's working for you so far i think but uh this week you you won't have that advantage we're all we're audio only so uh no one will be able to see anything that we're doing but we do have a lot to discuss beginning with the news roundup here it comes news roundup okay so we are in the news section now and uh, there's a follow-up story to some stuff that's been going on recently regarding Paizo. Paizo, the RPG designers of Pathfinder, who uh, not D&D, not D&D Beyond that we used to create our uh, Roland F. Criterion, who is now world famous and everybody loves, uh, but a different RPG studio. And they've been having all kinds of issues uh, in regards to their employees and the way that they treat them. We've been talking at length about all the all the issues that have been going on there, not cleaning the offices, firing certain employees with uh, perhaps unjustified cause, as we've heard it. Lots of horror stories coming out of there. And now uh, a bunch of Paizo workers have come together to form a Paizo union. Uh, They are calling it, as you would, United Paizo Workers. And they made an extended announcement through their new uh, Twitter account, at Paizo Workers on Twitter explaining uh, what they're going for with this, uh, who all the members are, and what they hope to accomplish as a result of, of this new movement. So, Tim, what I don't know if you've been following the all this Paizo stuff. Uh, what do you think about a Paizo union? Because this isn't really... This is pretty rare in the in the tabletop industry. There, it's not. There aren't too many unions out there. In fact, I don't know of any others. Uh, certainly not as prominent as a under a company like Paizo. Does this seem like this is a is this a sign of hope for you that this seems like a, a good thing going forward? Um, I mean, I don't know too much about it, and this is like you said, this is my first time hearing about a union as well in the board game industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm hoping that it's, you know, for the best and they find some kind of consensus there. Yeah. Yeah. It it sounds like there's no official, like, um, at least they haven't talked about any like 
demands that they have or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, right now there's the um, IATSE, I think is how you pronounce it, the uh, film crew union that's been basically ready to strike. I don't think they've actually gone on strike yet. I think they're trying to work out deals. Uh, but there's a lot of that kind of thing going around right now. Um, I guess here, here's a question for, I'll, I'll go to Will now. What, what, what kind of, do you expect them to have demands? Do you think we might see strikes out of this or is this more of a protective well, measure? When I first heard of this, I was a little confused only because I remember a little while back there was that Amazon warehouse that tried to make a union and failed. So I'm like, how how did this work? I, this much I did find out. So hmm. they're not technically like they're they've agreed to be a union, but the way it works is they're calling on Paizo to voluntarily recognize them. It'd be like, yes, you're a union. If they don't, that's what happened with Amazon. You have to hold a an election. And a certain number of the workers have to approve it. Apparently, the people signed on have already reached that eligibility, most likely. So it mm-hmm. seems like it's already a guarantee. So that's why the one thing I was confused about. And what I've read, I don't know if this is like an official declaration, but I'm hearing that there are multiple freelancers refusing to work on projects until it says the article I'm reading here meet certain demands, including the hiring of a diversity officer. Hmm. Okay, okay. So I think there are some things. I don't know if it's because they haven't done the official agreement. Maybe that's why they don't have the official, this is what our union demands kind of thing. But uh, according to some of those stories that I think we've talked about a little while back, hopefully one of them is uh, a janitorial staff. <laughs> yeah, there are some issues with the, uh, was it the the carpet wasn't cleaned? The I don't think the entire building was yeah, cleaned. Yeah, like nothing had been cleaned <laughs> oh, wow. for, like for like two years or something. Like it was really I think bad. it was like five. It was something like horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not so not so good. Yeah, I, I imagine they're, pro- they, I'm sure they have behind the scenes uh, concepts of what they want to ask for, but they're maybe not ready to share those uh, publicly quite yet. Uh, and, you know, hopefully with what with the statement that we heard out of the higher ups at Paizo, it sounds like they would be open to this and they'll be amenable to having these discussions. Um, the, of course, that might not always hold true. And it would be and if this is successful, I think it would be great if we see this going forward uh, with other uh, companies. I mean, I mean, I have I have to imagine I really, I, unfortunately, I just don't have enough knowledge about these things to talk more about it. But I would think if anyone that like Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast are so big, I'd imagine they might have some kind of a union in place already. Uh, but I actually don't know that. And I, as a great podcast host, I didn't research it because it just occurred to me just now. Uh, but, uh, or, or any other companies, you know, especially the bigger ones, Asmodee, different, like those big ones seem like this could be something that's beneficial for the workers going forward, of course. Um, I don't think there is a union at Wizards and I maybe just, I feel like it's more likely because Paizo is smaller. Like since Wizards is owned by Hasbro, I think if they tried to unionize, I would imagine it would go more uh, the way Amazon did. Hmm. Like, I feel like they'd be willing to throw their money around. Hmm. But yeah. um, I've also heard, uh, but like, yeah, I'm just quick Google and all these things saying like, will Wizards of the Coast follow and stuff. So hmm. it 
doesn't seem likely, but I, I don't know be- how that works since Hasbro owns them. Like, would you would the union be under Hasbro uh, employees? I guess it depends on how you decide to organize it. It could be either one, I suppose. Like I said, I don't know. I know about board games, not unions. But generally speaking, from what I understand, I think it's a very positive thing. And, yeah, uh, no, I, I'm just... Yeah. I think it would be under Wizards because it would be more like the artists of Wizard. Usually, I think mo- most unions I know of tend to... Like, they're almost around a profession i guess would be the word mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right um, right they're less specific to a company and it's like again like the film workers union or like the teachers union or police union it's not mm-hmm. like a yeah so that's interesting i wonder if they would expand it to well somebody will just be role-playing game union or, or even tabletop games union maybe anyone who's like a designer or has worked for a game company i mean i i, I yeah god knows what kind of legal red tape you have to go through to to make that happen but maybe that's the that maybe is the ideal solution uh if somebody could make that work but it's a big deal it's a big this is a big businessy business thing that's happening and it's the kind of thing that we don't it's not a story that we hear about often as we said this is like the first one of the first ones that we know of but uh, it could have really big ramifications for the industry and for people who work in the industry going forward. So yeah, hopefully it uh, it ends better than the Amazon one that I always talked about earlier. That would yeah. uh, it'd be nice to see and see what uh, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now next up, there's a few a few new game announcements that I wanted to talk about that I think are kind of cool and exciting. A couple of them, some stuff coming out of uh, Essen, which just happened last week. Uh, there is a third King of Tokyo game on the way we've learned. Uh, this is of course, Richard Garfield published by yellow games. Uh, this one, we don't know much about, don't even have a title. It looks like there's some kind of a, a crustacean like creature as, as one of the new headlining monsters, but we don't know much more beyond that. There's also a new Resident Evil card game, which is cooperative. You're playing through the original Resident Evil video game and board game form as either Jill or Chris, and players take turns controlling them going through uh, the mansion. And then they also announced a Heroes of Might and Magic 3 board game, which is not coming into Kickstarter until next year, November 2022, Uh, but based on uh, the old strategy PC game. Uh, that's uh, has been pretty popular amongst that crowd. Tim, of of these three, are, are you excited about any of these? Are these licenses or properties that you uh, are familiar with and you think they could do cool new things with? You know, I am not familiar with... I think it's with King of Tokyo. I've always seen it at Barnes & Noble, but I've never picked it up. Um, and Resident Evil, I've always played the video game, but never in card game form. I think that one would be the most interesting to me. Um, to see how it plays out in like the horror genre with card games. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it sounds interesting. You know, there's been um, Steamforge did the Resident Evil board games, but those are like these giant minis and like multiple scenarios. And this looks like a little, just like a, a condensed small version of just that first game. Um, are that they said their inspiration for, for that one was, uh, passing the controller back and forth is that that's why you're you're just controlling one character between the two of you mm-hmm. uh does that seem like a i don't know does that does that sound fun to you or would you rather be everybody play as themselves or what, what, what's your what's your ideal resident evil board game look like 
Uh, I don't know. I feel like I, I know like you mentioned that it was one with minis, but with card games, I feel like it'd be so interesting to have some kind of storytelling involved, especially with like solo play to see different campaigns unveil kind of like Marvel Champions. Um, mm-hmm. But it would be an interesting take to see overall. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Well, Resident Evil card game. We've, we've I, played the Resident Evil deck building yeah. game before. Mm-hmm. The passing of the controller in a game like Resident <laughs> Evil, like the reason why I think it works really well there is because of the, not just the live action, I guess you say, of the video games, but I usually think like, in, especially in horror games, because, you know, you hit that point, like, I'm done. I need a break. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's for but, us, certainly. We're scared. <laughs> right. When it comes to Borgen, I think actually the better way, if you want that feeling, would be uh, what you brought up with the story. Like, um, this war of mine, I think works really... I think captured that for us when the two of us played together, because you have to discuss what decision are we going to make? Mm-hmm. That isn't just, um, you know, shoot zombie. Hey, in this one, you can attack or flee. True. True. <laughs> uh, so if there's some more story, th- I mean, it is possible because they say you can meet different people along the way. Maybe you can decide different outcomes and what happened in the game. So, I'm curious to say the least, but and whatever this new game plus stuff is. Yeah, apparently if you beat it, you unlock a new game plus. I don't know if that just means like you get a harder zombies or exactly how it works. It'd be kind of neat if they took inspiration from the remake and they had like the the crimson heads when the zombies come back to life if you don't set them on fire. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Maybe that's the harder mode or something. Actually, that's a good point. You know, when you say like harder zombies, do you prefer in like games in general, especially campaign games, do you prefer like cranked up difficulty or new content mm, are we thinking of uh board games video games or just in general uh board games yeah i mean i mean uh, uh, new content for me yeah. always i i'm definitely in the new content one partially because i i, I when it comes to playing a board game especially these and if they get really difficult, the annoying thing is unlike a video game, especially newer ones where you can literally just change the difficulty, maybe like mid boss fight or something. It's, it's like, well, we got to reset the entire table. You know, it's just, it's so much more work when I'm like, I just want to know what's going on. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of those lazy people who just, who's there for the boat ride. No, that's (laughs) me too. hundred (laughs) percent. It's like such a daunting task, like set up all over again, you know? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, uh, a good difficulty mode can, you know, add a replay value and stuff, but I could probably count on my one hand the number of times I've actually gone back to a game and been like, oh, now let me try super hard level. I could say like more. I think I would do that with a solo experience because then mm-hmm. it's more like, oh, it's like I'm getting a high score. I'm challenging myself. And usually they're simpler. But yeah, especially if it's like a co-op game, multiplayer kind of experience. Maybe this sounds like you could play it with just one person, actually. But, uh, um, I, you know, you want n- mm-hmm. new things. It's always better. Of course, it's also harder for the developers to <laughs> to do. So right. uh, there's that little mm-hmm. caveat. Uh, n- never played King of Tokyo, Tim. It's a... No. It's a real, I mean, yeah, that's, that's one. I don't, yeah, I think considering all the games that everyone else yells at us for not playing, I don't know if we can throw (laughs) any shit about that, but, uh, but hey, but uh, this might be your, your chance. Cause in addition to this third game, they also announced a new monster box collection, which has a couple expansions. They're so bad about this. 
<laughs> you mean the 18 different editions of king of tokyo that have that come out every other yeah year? well what they do is uh it's like look this new big monster box it has the core set and all the expansions where i'm like okay i don't have this I'm like plus just a couple of new things and i'm like oh, are you serious oh, yeah they gotta entice you with that <laughs> but i'll say that the picture of the new stuff if you didn't say anything just tell me i would assume it's like just a new monster right the little monster packs but I assume, judging by this article, someone has told them, yes, it's a new game. Yes, it, it is so, confirmed officially, yes. If I had to guess, based on their pattern and how they um, uh, are, they take uh, homage from monster movies, that this is going to be their Monster Island game. Mm, that would be cool. <laughs> so I, I guess the little monsters could be points. It's got to have, a, I think, more of a, instead of maybe holding one place, maybe holding multiple territory. Could be be it, you All right. know, just like monsters fighting over the island. All right, sure. Well, we'll, I'll, we'll, we'll uh, this is your official prediction. It's set in stone. <laughs> we'll find out. The game comes out uh, next year at some point. No, no, uh, Might and Magic fans, Heroes of Might and Magic three specifically, <laughs> which I find funny because I don't know why they don't just. I, I maybe it's a rights thing. They just got the rights to the third game, but. Uh, it's funny they don't just call it Heroes of Might and Magic. I never played them myself, but I know they're they're pretty popular. This is from Archon Studio, who is also they did the Wolfenstein game. They've done a few others that were pretty big on Kickstarter. So uh, presumably it's going to be a big old game with all kinds of factions and combat and stuff. That I mean, Her Heroes of Might and Magic is very board gamey already. It's one of those kinds of games, almost like like a Sid Meier Civilization or something like that. So not not a civilization game, but sort of in that vein that it kind of feels like a board game video game. So it does seem like a very one-to-one -one connection. Uh, but I'm sure people who are fans of that will be, will be excited about it. All right. So uh, there's a few new games for you. We also heard some from some award winners uh, a while back, a few months back, we talked about the Zenobia awards uh, and these are given to independent games that specifically have a historical, cultural kind of uh, message or perspective uh, to present. And the winners for this year's Zenobia Awards first place went to a game called Tyranny of Blood, which is about the Indian caste system uh, and British colonialism, all that fun stuff. Uh, second place went to Winter Rabbit. Uh, uh, which is about Cherokee culture. And then finally, one that I'm not totally sure how to say, but Winye Kase, perhaps, uh, which uh, takes place uh, in Machu Picchu. And uh, three very different independent games. The, the thing that frustrates me about this is just that there's not... There, there's no information here, if, if that information even exists, as to how or when people can play these games if you're not a judge of this <laughs> competition because uh, I think they all sound very fascinating but uh, right now if you're looking at it it's just you can read a snippet from the rule book and get a kind of a look at sort of the concept of it but there's not even I don't even see a link to it'd be great if they had a link to follow the creators and just stay tuned to what they were doing uh, tim have you have seen the zenobia award at all or what, what do you think about this these games and this concept no it's my first time hearing about the zenobia awards too so how are they chosen exactly do you know so they have a, a group of judges mm -hmm. uh i don't know exactly uh they, they do say on their website 
who the judges are. So they have a whole list of the board members, just different people who work in uh, game design and various uh, board game adjacent uh, roles. I see Cole Worley uh, of Leader Games as one of them. Uh, so it seems like a, a reliable group of people, I, w- I would assume. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they play all these games and after they've been submitted and judge them. Also, are um, these final games or are they prototypes or? Uh, that is a great question. According to the, the website, the art that they show is prototype only. Mm-hmm. And I know there are a couple, um, you can find a couple playthroughs of some of these if you, if you search for them out there, but I don't think there is a, I, I don't think any of them are in a, a published packaged form. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think they all would be considered prototypes oh, or print and plays perhaps. Mm-hmm. They um, are um, grouped with a bunch of publishers. Maybe these are the winners and they're like, we'll make these games. Uh, oh, uh, the schedule, literally last one, winners and runner-ups are announced and prizes awarded. Preparation of pitches to publisher begins. Oh, there you go. Okay, there you go. So we do not know yet. So some of these might never see the light of day outside of this. It's very possible. Uh, But hopefully, hopefully they're able to swing these uh, into into a win somewhere. They're all very, like I said, just very creative and different ideas. Like every every single description of, of one of the nominees is something that I would never expect to see a game based on. So I think that's really cool. Uh, but we'll put a link to the full the full list and you can stay tuned. And I guess I guess the best place then is to stay tuned to the Zenobia Word website to see if they update us on uh, the progress of these games getting getting published. And finally, in the news section, uh, we are saying rest in peace to Brian Goldner, who was uh, executive over at Hasbro a pretty big company that we've mentioned just now who died at the age of 58. We don't have a specific cause of death, but he was diagnosed with prostate cancer a few years back. So it seems likely that is, that is the ultimate cause. And uh, just reading about uh, what this guy has done, it seems like his biggest contribution or one of them to, to Hasbro was getting, moving them into the film and television business outside of just toys and that's going to include stuff that we have yet to see, but we know is in the works uh, from the board game world. Dungeons and Dragons, um, uh, Risk and Clue all had TV shows and or movies that are scheduled to come out. That sounds like he's uh, ultimately responsible for. It. Uh, but it's uh, it, it's kind of a cool legacy, even though uh, I think we would probably all agree that the Hasbro films have been uh, hit or miss to put it charitably. It certainly made them money. So uh, <laughs> as far as doing his job, well, I think he knocked it out of the park. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, it did a little bit better with the shows uh, at the least. And I think that might have been one of, cause he didn't get this, the, their own studio until when was it again? I can't remember. When yeah. They recently they quite, they started producing their own content so they wouldn't have to rely on other, other companies and everything like that which definitely helps because um i don't know who's in charge of battleship but and i <laughs> but they yeah. were great is that what you're gonna say <laughs> absolutely i can't think of a better movie who doesn't love battleship uh tim what are you what are your feelings about uh D D like tv shows and movies based on these classic board game properties is that something that interests you or not at all 
I mean, 100%. Like, there are so many board games like Lords of Hellas I would love to see on mm. film. Um, but <laughs> like you said, the, the reiterations right now of uh, a couple of different uh, games turned movies haven't been the best. Like, the, I think the most recent one I saw from Hasbro was um, Snake Eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was yeah. uh, it was a hard one to to sit down for. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see Snake Eyes, but I heard I heard a lot about even, it. Even though it sponsored all, all your hostage negotiator streams. Yeah, I had a hostage <laughs> negotiator stream where I kept rolling Snake Eyes, so <laughs> I decided they were sponsoring us that week. I, uh, the the thing they really need to do because they I mean they've got properties that have had good stories every now and then, but usually when I see the good stories happen is because they almost just like sort of give it to one or two guys and just like do what do what you will. We don't care because usually it's in a comic or something. You know, it's not a big budget movie. So then they're like, all right, we're gonna now make it so Megatron becomes a pacifist <laughs> or something really weird like that. And I think when you look at all these movies like yeah. Snake Guys or something, there there's all these people like, how do we make it? appeal to the biggest audience which makes it like the most bland thing usually ever yeah yeah and i think that is where they tend to fail yeah Yeah, because like they just like go at it and i sometimes i wonder if like there's an actual team behind it and how certain things make it all the way to the big screen (laughs) so yeah right you never feel the i feel like um a lot of the movies or shows we like you can or even board games you know you feel the fingerprint of the game designer or the director in there. I, the only thing I can tell you is with the transform movies is explosions. Right. Like that is the <laughs> oh, closest. Feel, oh, yeah. I mean, you feel the Michael Bay fingerprints in there <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But not in the story beats. Uh, I mean, like, I'm curious to know if that's all they think that the audiences look for is like just giant explosions and just action sequences <laughs> without yeah. substance. Oh, works for five or six movies at least. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. I guess on a budget standpoint, it's mostly a success. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do think that it, there is bringing it back to to tabletop games specifically. There's and and relating it to the same way they did for Transformers. There's a legitimacy that you bring to something if there are movies made of it. Whether they're whether we think they're good yeah, or bad, I, I can't argue with that. I mean, there's a reason why they're doing all the, like Disney's live action Lion King and stuff. <laughs> it's more adult and real if it's live action. Well, yeah, but even even animated, just the fact that there is a, a film associated with it, like already, like there was never going to be, or maybe there already was. I actually don't know the timeline, but I feel like a Transformers ride at Universal Studios is much more likely to happen if there's a movie. Than if I'm just toys. considering the only one I know of is based on the movies. I'm going to say you're right. <laughs> and I mean, well, it's not, it's also just if it makes a lot of money and hopefully, and I think it did in Transformers case, GI Joe has been failing on this front, but like it also made it so like, okay, we can make more toys. Now we can make an arc ship. Now we can make the beast wars come back and stuff. <laughs> right. So, but, but my ultimate point for uh, relating to board games is that I, I think that that's, that could be a really important step for the board game industry of, I mean, even though board games continue to grow and grow in popularity every year and get more and more mainstream, uh, there's, once we have, you start seeing a Dungeons and Dragons movie, you see a a, a risk. If there's a successful risk show somehow, and then that spins off into people being able to say, okay, well now we're going to take one of these other more modern games 
And there's actually a really interesting story here. We could make, turn this into a movie and convince them to make that movie. And more people start playing the games and the, it becomes even more mainstream. And I think that's that could be a very real stepping stone on the road to board games being as big as video yeah. games or something um, like that. I mean, definitely Stranger Things helped the D&D cause. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm curious. We'll see what happens, obviously. It's been a very bumpy road, but with the magic Netflix show, too. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff is interesting. So uh, anyway, but a lot, a lot of that stuff set in motion by Brian Goldner. Uh, so R.I.P. Uh, Hasbro executive Brian Goldner, and that is the end of our news roundup. Now we will talk about some stuff in the Kickstarter zone. The world of crowdfunding awaits. Oh, this one looks uh, nice. It's nice. It's nice. This one, Kickstarter, Kickstarter. Okay, we are going to talk about some things in the world of crowdfunding that pique our interest this week or maybe in weeks past tim is there is there anything right now that you're maybe backing or just uh that is intriguing to you on kickstarter or somewhere else um i see it on your list already actually it's uh steam up for sure all um, right yes tell, tell me tell me about Tell me about Steam Up, a feast of dim sum, which I actually haven't had a chance to really look at to, in too depth because it, it just went up on Kickstarter. Yeah, actually just went up this morning. Um, even if I did cover the game already, it's still a really, really <laughs> incredibly fun game. Um, I think because it translates so well from like the idea of having a dim sum feast with like your family and your parents and so forth, I think it hits a it hits home pretty pretty deep. So um, I think. This is one game that I would definitely love to play with my parents. I've actually never played a single board game with them, and this would be one for the books. Uh, basically, um, it's about having asymmetrical player powers with different animals um, from the Chinese zodiac, and uh, each one brings a different, you know, ability to the table. And you're trying to, you know, gain the most amount of food uh, from this turntable that you rotate. So it's a little bit. Um, it has a little bit of sabotage in it where you're trying to take away components from other players and everything, but ultimately you're trying to just score a bunch of victory points through asymmetrical player powers and just grabbing different food components. And it's ultimately a set collection game. So it's a really, really fun one. Yeah, I, I love the, you know, we're talking about the games that have different types of themes. This is kind of a, a fun way to have a cultural perspective, uh, but also it's... It's not, uh, you know, the Indian caste system or some of these things could be potentially oh, people, you know, they take a little bit of uh, effort to like get your head in there and learn about them, which is a good thing. But this one is nice because everybody can relate to just some good food. <laughs> and I look yeah, at this exactly. and I'm like, yeah, I want some dim sum. This, this I love I love how it has the actual little uh, containers, the trays. I don't know what the uh, terminology should be, but the steamers. it's. Yeah, right. There you go. Uh, but it's really cute, and it, it, it looks really fun the way it uh, like incorporates that whole look of it. And I would love to. I think you should do a, a stream or a recording of you playing this with your parents. Oh, that would be so fun. I would love to do that. Uh, I was a little angry at first. I'm like, how did I miss this? And I'm like, okay, it went up after I looked through Kickstarter, so it don't feel as bad that I somehow missed this. This looks so much. I love the whole little set collecting thing. Um, the turning table is definitely something very nice, which we'll actually go back to when we talk about games we've played because more games need that. The little mm. rotating center the, part. The Lazy Susan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the art is just adorable. 
And I yeah. just, it, yeah. and you actually, so you actually played it, you said? Yes, I played it in order to film it um, and okay. photograph it and everything to understand it. But actually, it kind of brings up a, a question I wanted to ask you guys too. Is, um, so I feel like one big question in the board game community or one idea, topic, whatever you want to call it, is that, you know, components aren't everything. But in this case, I feel like with the steamers and the little pieces kind of remind me of like Everdell. Do you feel that components, like upgraded components like these, are central part to elevating your gameplay experience? Ooh, it's, well, it's so what's the is it's I see there's like a standard and a deluxe edition here. Is that is is there a big difference in those? Do you know, or does most of what you see uh, come in this? Or, or I assume you played the version you played had kind of the bells and whistles on it. Right. Um, I don't fully know the difference. I just know like the character pieces instead of like wooden cutouts, they would be like cardboard cutouts. But I don't know if like the steamers and the little uh, the, squishies would be involved. I think the steamers are the same, but it looks like the uh, the food components mm -hmm. would be tokens versus little plastic. Like, like you said, Ever Everdell more uh, miniature. Okay, got it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where certain games, like if it's just changing uh, for me, like um, a wooden standee versus a miniature, I wouldn't be as crazy about. But something like I think Everdell, or I think the big one that a lot of people bring up is um, Quacks of Quentinburg. Like you get just cardboard little cardboard things to pull out of your bag. But getting actual nice tokens, this is not them offering it. It's like you buy third party. Uh, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Mm. And just the way that you have already these 3D stackable steamers regardless, uh, I just feel like getting those, those 3D food miniatures, I think, would just add such a nice touch. And also because they're all colored, so it helps it pop more when you can look and be like, What's in there? Oh, I see two red and a, a green and a pink. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it, there's a reason that board games don't just get published in their print and play prototype forms. <laughs> it's you know we are as humans, I think we gravitate naturally towards shiny, flashy, fun, tactile components. And as much as I'd like to say, oh yeah, like the you know the gameplay is all that matters. It certainly is the most important thing. But there's plenty of games where I feel like they can be elevated so much by just how fun and interesting they are to play with. Like essentially, you know, board games are toys. <laughs> so it's I like the ones that are more toy like. If you you know you go as far as even something like like Fireball Island, which is really far in that direction. Uh, right. But or even we we bring it up. Everybody brings it up a lot. But Splendor, where I think if you take away those thick to chips and they were just cardboard pieces, I don't think anyone ever wants to play that game. To be honest with you, <laughs> I think that game is like sixty percent of the reason it's popular is those chips. <laughs> uh, so yeah, for me, it's 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 pretty important. It's not make or break, but it's much appreciated. For sure. That said, especially with Kickstarters in particular, I really appreciate when they have the uh, uh, let me, uh, the standard what they call Eugenia Carver one because this one isn't too bad of a jump. But like other games, like um, you know, it's usually more when it comes to like you have an army of miniatures versus maybe wooden tokens. It just makes it a little bit easier for people to actually get their hands on the game. 
for right. me at least. Also because once again, this is a little different. Yeah, because like this, I would not be worried about storage wise. You know, like oh, I just have a baggie for the ingredients and the animal tokens. You know, there are twelve animal tokens, and probably the ingredients are nothing nearly as bad. But uh, as Jonathan can test to <laughs> when I try to pack away any of the heavy Mintress games, um, that becomes quite a mess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what are your what's your take on this one, Tim? Um, I'm. I would say I'm pretty bad at it because uh, every time I see there's a deluxe version, I would have to have it. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's bad. It's just that, that's go for. And plus, you as have to consider you, you have do money such amazing the photos, so you can make those components shine so much more. Oh, thanks. Which is, yeah. <laughs> you know, like for yeah. us, it, it's a win for us too when you get the deluxe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, part of it is the a little bit of the FOMO thing again of. Oh, but like what? I don't know. If, like if I'm or also you think, well, if I want the game anyway, like I might as well spend the extra 20 bucks for like the best version of it. Right. 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 And well, that's why I think the best thing, even if like for at least Kickstarter, when they do options and sometimes what's interesting is sometimes the deluxe one is going to become the standard. Like in this case, they say limited print run. But I know for some other games like the 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 cheaper cardboard or wooden token was the Kickstarter exclusive version. So at least that the options exist there, I think mm -hmm. is always nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think it is very situational again, like for stuff like minis, I'm not as big of a minis guy, but if it's a, a component like these, again, like these steamers where it's very it's, colorful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's different. It's novel. And it's something that you're going to be like interacting with a lot during the game. I like when they go the extra mile, but sometimes it can be too much too. I think a lot of times you talk about games like, um, st certain Stonemeyer games that I've frequently heard the criticism. They're overproduced that they just like, it looks so pretty and it's classy and nice and expensive, but maybe it doesn't always have to be that nice for how like simple a game it is. And that's different. Different people just have different, uh, opinions on that you know i will say there was the uh gale force 9 game we just reviewed where i was pretty okay with oh, the right. cover pieces <laughs> tyrants and of you, the underdark yeah. yeah but uh to go on <laughs> a bit of austrian tangent because i just saw this i also want this big squishy steam bun they're offering oh yeah first player mark. <laughs> it's awesome yeah i like you could just like it's just here's something for you to play with while you wait for your turn <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah good stuff so that is steam up a feast of dim sum the the standard version is around 48 dollars us and the deluxe is 64 uh so not not too much higher so yeah definitely definitely check that out will what's your pick this week so my pick is from the uh the mothership rpg zines and it's Ooh. called ability considered unnatural Ooh. It is a, 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 a their own little dungeon crawl where you have been hired by a mining company who is pretty much on their wits. Uh, like the, you're their last team they're going to send in because they had a mine where some strained object was found, and they were some people the people who found it forced the mining company out of the mine. Apparently, giving this whatever this strange object is gave them some strange powers and formed a cult around it. They've sent multiple mercenaries to try to get it back. They've failed every time. You're the last group before they decide to orbital bomb the mine as well as the city next to it. So you're going to have to go into the city, find out what's going on, 
maybe the city is completely innocent or maybe some of the people live there or maybe all of them. I don't know. They didn't want to spoil everything. And, you know, you have to go through and discover all these things. They say inspirations from both uh, Star Wars. I mean, you even see guys wearing like proto lightsabers. They look like as well as Alien, which I mean, with the mining company thing, that just sounds straight out of Alien. And we've we've played around with the Mothership zines before and we've loved them. So reading on with this, I was like, oh, I definitely want to dive into this story. Yeah, so this is an unofficial module for uh, Mothership, which I, it's, I'm guessing you need the base rules to play it. I think this it, is just like a like an adventure, but maybe you yeah. can adapt it for uh, it, other it stuff. Did, yeah, it did say, oh, I want to find where the line is now because I really loved it. It was like, easy like dice manipulation for any rpg you play uh -huh. it was like the weirdest way i've heard of saying like you can adjust it to anything else <laughs> now i gotta, uh, gotta oh yes with some stat block surgery that's how they described it it's a great module for your sci-fi rpg of choice okay all right yeah uh so there you go yeah mothership is like a super um kind of hardcore uh, like horror sci-fi RPG where you, you I don't you, the the combat is like fast and scary. <laughs> you might you might die. Mm -hmm. uh, there's usually weird, disturbing things going on, and it has a pretty big scene of people making content for it. And so this one seems like a, another cool one. Oh, so how uh, is so combat in that one exactly? Like, how does it play out? It's been a while since we played it, but I remember, just remember it's very, uh, it revolves around D10s mm -hmm. and it's like, it's not, it's not nearly your, you know, D&D style uh, in terms of movement and positioning. I mean, it has all that stuff, but it's, it's much more like you're probably going to get in, hit somebody, take them out and move on, or they'll do that to you. Like it's, it's a little faster, a little tougher. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it it plays more on the horror theme. So it really the combat was more of it should be your last resort. You know, it's it's less uh alien colonial marines, more alien. Got it. You're you're gonna uh, hope to God you'd never have to deal with that, usually. Or at least with the story Jonathan gave us. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's different different variations. And they're they're supposed to be working on a mothership. Like still the like the zine version that exists, there's still meant to be at some point um, a bigger like I think maybe a hardcover expanded edition of it. And I think I think they're still working on that. I'm not sure if that has one that's planned to release. Uh, but this uh, ability is considered unnatural. Goes on Kickstarter for uh, seven dollars for the PDF version of it, and it looks like seventeen for a physical copy. By the way, uh, Jonathan, actually, yes, you, there's a link in this Kickstarter to be notified when the mother mothership first edition box set is released. Oh, okay, good. So, so they are they are working out. I had heard them talking about a box set, but I wasn't sure if it uh, consisted of just the old stuff or if that is the new thing. But yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, definitely check out Mothership if you're interested in a weird little sci-fi RPG that's not too complicated. Uh, my pick this week is over on GameFound. I went outside the realm of Kickstarter because uh, I want to talk about Pachamama. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you're supposed to say it. Sounds funny when I say it, but I feel like uh, it's maybe not quite that. Uh, but Pachamama, this is from Sit Down, the people who did uh, Magic Maze. And 
This one is based around Latin American culture, as I understand it. And you are farmers trying to locate uh, different areas and figure out how which crops you should be planting there to please uh, Mother Earth, essentially. And there's a really interesting gimmick to this game, which is that you have this wheel and there are different scenarios and you'll insert a round card into the wheel at the start of the game and you don't know what's on the other side and the way that you turn the wheel will determines the setup of the scenario and essentially there's a board uh, made up of different regions uh, and each region is one crop specifically and there are like five tiles large and they could be in different shapes and you don't know where they are but you know that no two will be of the same can be next to each other and that there's only one crop per region. And so it's almost like you're playing uh, like a ver weird version of Minesweeper where uh, you, on your turn, you'll move somewhere and you can discover what crop goes there and try to learn more. Or you can try to predict based on what you know of the surrounding areas, what you think uh, an area is going to have and the wheel will reveal to you if your guess was correct <laughs> and if you're right you'll get more points uh, so I, I just I really like that concept and sit down with magic maze and we also played the dive they they always have these really interesting like I, I people associate gimmick as a with a, a negative thing but I love a good gimmick I think that's a great thing for a game to have and this one sounds really uh, uh, similarly creative to the stuff that they've done before. Uh, so that is Pachamama. And this one, how much does this one go for? Back this project, 45 euros, about 52 US dollars on GameFound. Uh, all right. So those were our big, those were our Kickstarter picks this week. I liked them. I think we found some, mm -hmm. some fun ones out there. Oh, there's also one that I will mention briefly called Hungry for Humans which we did a full uh, YouTube preview for uh, that is all about trying to stop your monster from eating you <laughs> because they're hungry. So you got to give them uh, cuisine uh, that they will prefer to humans. And it's a, it's a silly, uh, funny party game with weird art. So that's Hungry for Humans. And that is our Kickstarter Pickstarter, which brings us into more games that we have been playing that are already out in Table Talk. Table talk. All right, Tim, if you yeah. would tell me what games have you been playing in the recent past that you are excited to talk about? Um, Merchants Cove is probably my my number one game at the moment uh, because it's just so I feel like it's so creative and so unique. Um, I'm pretty sure you've. Have you both played Merchants Cove? No. I have oh, not played Merchants Cove. I know this is our King of Tokyo moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So Merchants Cove, um, it's different because each player is kind of has like their own mini game. They have their own um, objectives. And ultimately, your goal is to sell the most goods, is to produce the most goods, hire the most amount of workers, and... Um, score the most amount of points so like the way you score points is very simple um the 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 stronger the goods or actually the the higher scoring goods will of course score you more points so those are more difficult to make um every single person is a merchant so like there's a blacksmith who has 
um, whose role is to like roll dice and then you're going to be, you know, doing dice placement and forging your own um, goods. And then there's like a chronologist or I forget what the actual term is, but something with time and like they're doing worker placement, traveling across the board. And there's like an alchemist using marbles and rolling them um, similar to the other marble game, the really popular one that I can't think of uh, at the moment. But I love it because it's, I feel like it weaves in so many different asymmetrical mechanics together and unifies them so well on the main board. And I just absolutely love this game. Gizmo, I think, was that it? Gizmo, oh, there Gizmo. we go. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah, this, it, it looks great. I feel like we must have seen it on Kickstarter or something. It looks familiar. Uh, I yeah. know we did because they actually have a standalone, I guess, in-universe sequel on Kickstarter right now called like Bardswood I took a look at. Mm-hmm. For the previous segment. Oh, I didn't know that was related to to this game. I also looked at Bardswood. <laughs> Had no idea they were in the same uh, universe. Uh, has this been your uh, first time playing Merchants Cove, Tim, or have did you have you had the chance to uh, break it out a, a few times already? This I don't know exactly when it was released this year. Yeah. I feel like it's been out for some time, but this is my first time playing it. I've had two rounds with it so far. One as a blacksmith, I'm um, using dice worker placement. The other one as the alchemist, um, kind of using marbles with with gizmo, like Will mentioned. Um, but it's so cool. I just love how I feel like I've never played a game like this before ever. That's I, awesome. I'm very excited to see it now because I know I'm a big fan of asymmetrical, especially in particular like this. This is one of the reasons why I think Root does so well because. You're like, well, even when you finish a game, you're not like, okay, I've played it. As soon as you get a new faction, you're on a whole new game. Right, yeah. You know, and it gives just so much more replayability. And even then, once you play each faction, you're like, okay, how do I master the blacksmith now? Mm-hmm. Because you, and I just feel like that adds so much. And it definitely something uh, I need to try out. Yeah, because uh, one thing I was scared about when playing Merchant School, I was like, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, just like you said, with Root. Um, each faction has so many different things going on. How is everything going to be tied back together? How are we interacting with other players? But the way um, the phases of the game works um, to bring everyone in to kind of sell all your goods to merchants at different times and to prioritize which goods you're selling at which dock is just so, so fun and interesting to play. Yeah, it it looks really cool. And it sounds sounds like a very uh, unique game. And, you know, I don't think... Uh, well, I guess I don't, is it explicitly pirate themed or is it just boat themed? Are there pirates in this one? <laughs> um, there a- is a captain who is one of the uh, players you can play as, but for the most part, yeah, the boats are the ones bringing in merchants every phase. So boats are accessible to for everyone. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, but it uh, it seems it's a cool theme. It's very cool, and the design mm-hmm. of the, and the look of the board is awesome too. There's a dragon rancher. Yeah. Well, I know what I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's Merchant's Cove. Uh, we'll stick with you, Tim. We'll stick with the another the more water themes here. <laughs> Tell us something oh, okay. else you've been playing. And I I started to realize that when I um, made my new studio, uh, I all I did was I picked out some pictures to hang along the wall. And I realized that every single one of my, quote, favorite pictures had water in them. So I guess I'm very... <laughs> towards water themed stuff there is like a you know like abyss oceans all the good all some of the, some of the prettiest board games are themed around water mm. i guess it's an easy thing to make pretty i don't know yeah i love that <laughs> but um the, the second one i chose was aquatica um this one 
I I feel like I sucked so bad at this game in the beginning. My fiance <laughs> was just destroying me like game after game. But some some something happened within the past few games that I just it just kind of clicked. I don't know if ever if games ever clicked for you guys, but like when you kind of just realize the whole strategy and combo play with it. Um, Aquatica is all about card combos, and you are playing as um, a sea king or queen trying to you know develop your land and you're just trying to grab different cards from the table um and they all have somewhat asymmetrical powers i think they're they're pretty minor um depending on who you play as but you're taking these cards and you're kind of putting them inside your own cardboard sliding them up and forming different combos which is why i've been loving this card combo game i've said combo like a million times already but <laughs> <laughs> you're comboing on combos right uh yeah yeah i mean that's uh, yeah i i uh i usually just have the first half of that experience but, but <laughs> and i don't ever click with anything but uh i i can imagine it's very satisfying and yeah when you get one of these kinds of games where you figure out oh this goes into that which goes into this mm-hmm. that's yeah that's a that's a good feeling yeah, yeah definitely when you this, I can see the crafting symbol and when you're like, oh, wait, if I take this one, then triggers this, then does this, then which cascades into this, which allows me to draw on again or do. Yeah, when you when, that clicking, whenever you get a good combo going. Oh, so like, satisfying. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, except for everyone has the table and like, Will, are you done yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, here, here's my question to you, Tim. Uh, it looks like there's like a bunch of icons on the cards did, did you do you find that was part of the learning curve remembering what some of those symbols mean or is it pretty intuitive yeah um that was definitely adding to the learning curve i feel like the iconography was pretty complex here but it's easy because once you understand the core mechanics then they kind of just riff off of that there's like one set page where you can kind of just reference it really quickly so i didn't think it was too bad but it definitely um, I think for like new players, it would take a little bit of time to just kind of understand. Got it. Yeah, that's yeah, that seems that seems about right. It's always an ongoing thing of icons versus text and how much room you put on a card. And <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that there's a right answer for some people there is <laughs> uh, but i could go either way depends on the game uh and and you're just you're really like you're hitting you're hitting some big ones here you have another one that i see in the notes that i'd love to hear your experience with because it was another one that was r- really big on kickstarter and it's gotten all kinds of buzz yeah i i would say this is like my number one game for now of all time currently wow um, yeah it's it's dwellings of Eldervale. Um, such an epic game. We have not stopped playing it since we got it. Um, and it's funny too, because uh, a couple of my friends that I introduced this game to, they were never into board games, but for whatever reason, one day, uh, one of them came over and just asked, you know, I want to play the most complicated board game you have. And I was like, okay, well, let's try this one. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Dwellings Elder is a, is a pretty complex game. Um, but I think ultimately what I love about it is that once you understand all the little nuances, you only do two things on your turn. You either place a unit or worker placement, or you bring all your units back, and then those trigger different actions. Um, and it's super replayable because there are a ton of different factions to choose from. Um, the The production quality of this game is unreal. Um, I have the, the, of course, the legendary edition, um, but it's just so fun to play because I think... The mechanics work so well together and I've played it across all player accounts. 
Um, there's a lot of things going on from worker placement to uh, card drafting to set collection. And I think what keeps me uh, bringing it out again and again is the way you can approach it differently every single time. Mm. Yeah, that's so. always that's always a plus. Is there is there a game that maybe you would compare it to? I, I'm getting kind of like Terra Mystica vibes from it a little bit, but I don't know how. Um, I've you know there's not a single game that I can think of that I feel like compare, I feel like it derives from it takes mechanics from a lot of other different games like Scythe maybe and Lords of Hellas, um, mm. but it really is a pretty unique one. Yeah, I know uh, so the designers, Luke Laurie, did uh, Whistle Mountain, which we liked. And I've heard good things about Cryo, too. But this, yeah, as you said, this is a, a heavier game than any of those. Uh, but I'm glad that at least you, it, it, it wasn't so heavy that it scared away <laughs> your your gaming group and they, they took to it. Yeah, somehow they had the patience for it that day. And they haven't, they haven't wanted to play any other game since. Every time they come over, let's play Dwellings, let's play Dwellings. <laughs> That's awesome. I no. I wish we had that. <laughs> we have, hey, let's play, uh, mm, I don't know. What do you want to play? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, we, we do have one person who has that, but no one wants to play Eclipse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> or the one person who wants to play Battlestar Galactica every single week. <laughs> right. It's like, we don't have five hours this week. We need to do other things. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, what is the playtime on Dwellings? Is it is it? longer to go along with its heavy rules um i would say maybe like in two hours at at the minimum uh with two players we've actually had it down to like maybe an hour of playing two but for five people we've played like four to five hour games so but also depends on your gaming group too my gaming group is incredibly slow so yeah we're we're in that boat with you as well (laughs) Ah, okay then so five hours (laughs) (laughs) all right so dwellings of eldervale very cool. Very cool. Now, I so I, I've been gone more or less for the past week. I did not attend our Will and I's most recent game night. And I, I see, I guess, apparently when I'm not there, you play 100 games as opposed what? to the two or three we usually play. <laughs> like you have so many things listed. I'm like, well, how did these all happen? I don't understand. Uh, three of them I just wanted to quickly mention because they weren't technically part of that game night. There okay. was the loop I got to play with some, uh, m- like midweek with some people because I'm uh, hopefully I'm fingers crossed. I should have, uh, I'm going to record a review for that and release that soon. And I just got my pledge for dinosaur world and dinosaur raw and right. So I learned the solo rules for that. And if you're listening to this podcast, the day of its release, I will be streaming uh, dinosaur world on Twitch soul place you can watch me that that's why i just quickly played them to know at least most of the rules i will still get some wrong i bet but <laughs> at least i have a general idea but the rest are what we actually played and really is just a lot of lighter party games so okay. the first one <laughs> was now castle I, 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 I heard i don't know maybe this is maybe this is a development you want to save for later <laughs> but mm-hmm. i heard that there was a power outage during this game night is that true? Uh, yes, there was, but uh, did that, that it, didn't power that came discourage back. anything. Okay, no, it did not. You weren't playing by candlelight. I know you played by candlelight because that would have been cool too. <laughs> yeah, that's when uh, you got to break it, out it, the it, Halloween games. N- yeah, no, that's when we got to play the RPG. The oh, 10 candles. candles. 10 can- yeah. I never get the number right. You always wanted to be thirteen because it's spooky, but it's ten. <laughs> anyway, but so technically, 
the first game started, I was not in because our, our friend who came over earlier uh, brought over his uh, his Song of Fire and Ice Mantras game. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Ice and Fire, but it's fine. Go on. Ice and Fire. <laughs> uh, the Game of Thrones. And he so he was playing that. And while they were playing that and we were waiting for them to finish, when other people actually arrived, I was like, all right, uh, let me check out this game, Castle Party. Uh, this is a game where you are host. Each of you are pretty much hosting a party for monsters, and on your turn, you're going to draw a Tetris shape, uh, and it's going to tell you like you choose the orientation, and there's going to be an X on it usually, and you're going to play one monster card from your hand, and then it's going to go around the table, people playing a monster card till you've made that shape. Then you have a dry erase board. You're going to draw that shape into your little castle. This is where, uh, what was the game we were playing before, Jonathan? We were, oh, uh, Rorschach, where you were annoyed about the orientation, depending on when people were sitting. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. We, I have a lazy, uh, a lazy Susan. I was like, oh, I'm going to actually use this because you're, you have to all draw the same shape in the same orientation. Huh. So this became very difficult if you're not all sitting on the same side. So by putting on that, we just rotated it for each person to be like, so they knew what they had to draw. Okay, that's handy. Oh. Uh, so uh, I uh, definitely needed for this game. It, and it's, I guess it is a flip and write in a way. But it's very weird because the way you're drawing shapes, because when you draw certain cards up to three, you can score during rounds. And there's like scoring for your largest group, scoring for being near the windows, and then scoring, you draw in the pumpkin king. And he wants actually a diversity like of different monster groups around them. So it becomes this really weird game of like, what card do I play? Like, I need a vampire in this shape or like, oh, this shape's not going to help me. I guess I'll play this this uh, ghost because I'm not we're trying to score a lot of ghosts right now. And you can draw people into the moat if you don't, if you can't draw the shape and they lose you points because you threw them into the moat. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it is a very cute, light-hearted game there. Uh, the rest... Uh, mostly party games. We finally played a bunch of games by uh, Potato Games, I believe is Big Potato, potato Games. Big Potato. Uh, first one is Snakes. This is a weird trivia now, hold game. Hold on, where, I don't think you said oh, it right. <laughs> oh, sorry, Snakes. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> this is a weird trivia game where each round you deal out rolls secretly. One person reveals as the mongoose of truth, <laughs> and the rest of the people are split relatively evenly, you know, depending on player counts, of humans and snakes. You're then going to read a trivia question like, one of these animals is faster than Usain Bolt. Which one is it? Then everyone closes their eyes. You you have to flip the card over. The snakes get to see the answer. You flip it back. Then everyone argues about what they think the answer is. The snakes are trying to deceive everyone. The mongoose of truth is the only person you know you can hypothetically trust. But they don't know the answer. So they could be like, I have no idea. <laughs> You're then going to put in a tile and you get humans and the mongoose get points for each person who's right. And the snakes get a point for each person who's wrong. So it sounds well, kind of like where words, but instead of asking a question or asking 20 questions, people are just trying to s- tell you a trivia question, the wrong answer. Yeah. And most of these questions feel very um, gotcha ish. So we learned that you're going to get your points from being the snake. Because you you just need to make like most of the times the you're you were so confused like what could be the right answer any I don't know this could be like 
one weird thing. Like the only time the snakes got in trouble was the last round when uh, the mongoose of truth, when the question was about like, what's Ronald McDonald's name in Japan? And the mongoose of truth was a guy who knows everything. He's like, it's, it's B. It can't be the rest. <laughs> so the mongoose like a, a neutral player then with the snakes and the other ones competing? No, they're on the human side. It's just that at the very least, the humans know they can trust the mongoose when they're like, I think it's B. Like they know they're not being led astray. But the thing is, like I said, the mongoose is not like the, is it the enchantress and werewolf? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, I don't know. The one who knows who the truth yeah, like they don't know anything either. So if yeah. they if they don't know about anything of the trivia about ancient Egypt or something, then they're not going to be as mu that much help. <laughs> right, right. Except that you you can eliminate them from being a bad guy, I guess. Right, but the snakes can still nope. as, just as easily influence the the mongoose. Um, and I mean, it's not like I really wish they gave a little bit of explanation on the uh, answers, just because uh, I'm curious. Oh, like yeah. when they said like this runs this fast or whatever. The only one I was annoyed about was one about ancient Egypt when they're like, the answer was like, what have archaeologists found? And the answer was a bowling alley. And I'm like, I don't think it's actually bowling. <laughs> like it could have been similar. This just said bowling. I, I, it was one of those. It's, it's <laughs> I, I don't know. Did you look it up? Maybe they did. We did. We did. <laughs> they didn't. It wasn't bowling. It was a similar game, like field game using balls and pins. Okay. So like it was, it was a small thing, but it's meant to be a light party game. It's me. It was like, but everyone agreed with me, which made me feel better. Uh, <laughs> the, the next one. Actually, I'm going to skip over the next one. I played to go to the other potato, uh, Never baked potato. It was nice buns. Okay. This is a game all about uh, going with the Kickstarter dim sum. And mm. there are your, it's very interesting because there's a bag of dim sum in different colors. Your goal is to get three sets of three on your plate. Whenever you get three of a color that you don't haven't already collected, you put on your plate. And first one to get, in essence, these nine win the way it works is you're going to roll three dice on your turn and these dice have different abilities such as drawing blindly from the bag taking from a set like six that you already know or interacting with other players and then you're going to split those dice up into groups you uh, into two piles and the person on your left gets to take one of those piles so you have to guess like what do they want how do i get what i want so it's a very interesting game of trying to play off what your opponents have and stuff like that. Like, And sometimes some of the dice could be like, you return some to the bag. So you could be like, all right, you get to draw three from the bag, but then you have to return one. Hmm. There's also, they call them fish heads. I don't know if that means they're literally supposed to be fish heads or just the flavor, but they ruin one. If you get one of those, there are too many. They make you return the, your own collection to your bag and you can't score them. So they're also sometimes like you draw one of those who are like, I know you really want to give give a dim sum away to someone so you can give the fish head away. So it's a small light game, but I really like this twist of making of like having to split into piles and make your opponents decide what they want. And there was one turn, oh, it was like someone went, had was like in last place, but because of the dice they pulled and the built up, they almost won. I like got three sets and three in one turn. It was like the coolest thing. We're all like, oh. 
Oh, and then the last one was a fish head. I was like, no, <laughs> but it, it was pretty cool. So it had a little bit swinging nature, but definitely had a lot of fun with that, with the multiple round. All of these we played like two or three, two rounds of, uh, two games of. And the last one, I know you really want to play, Jonathan. Yeah. It's so close. Digimon trading card game. Oh, no. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, that one, I just played a few rounds. I had fun. I've talked about the game before. I really like it. And I, but the So Clover one, you gain these cards that have four words on each side. You randomly place them on this clover board, and you have to secretly come up with a clue that combines two words on each side. You then take the cards off, shuffle in a fifth card. Then people have to guess what's the orientation of cards on your clover board. And you have to come up with some really weird clues because it's very annoying. Sometimes you might get, like, shirt and house, and you're like, how do I make one word that gives this clue away? And you're like, once you do that, you're like, okay, I think I've got it. You put it down then. And then you just have to watch as everyone else is like, oh, obviously for, for the clue for lamb is sheep and dinner because Will loves food. I'm like, oh no, (laughs) it's just one of those word games where you just have to watch as everyone, when you think you're so clever with a clue and everyone else is completely off. (laughs) <laughs> so this it is, is it's from the um it has the same look and feel and same company who did just one is it sort of in that vein definitely yeah it's that it's that one where you just sort of like it's it's sort of the reverse now where you just see one instead of seeing one person see everyone else writing words and you're just like you want to talk we just have to stand there and watch as they like no 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 this orientation well what about this Wait, what's Will's thoughts on 80 songs? Because he wrote sweet. That could be the word child, because sweet child of mine. I'm like, and you're like, oh, that would have been better. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it was a lot of fun. It's what, the first, we didn't, and, but the way it's, you know how most games when you do points, it's like, like, like just one, you know, you see how well you did. Yeah. Like they have a score. This, all it is, is write down the name of your group. And how many points you got? Try to do better than than your last time you had that group. So you build your own high score board. <laughs> yes. So our first round, I think we did okay. Second round, we had like three perfect guesses. It oh, was yeah. amazing. Like <laughs> it seems like once we got into the groove, we knew how to read each other. But this is definitely one I'm really. I think you're going to be very excited to see hit the table. Uh, nothing gets all the other ones. I just think this one definitely for you, Jonathan, would be the winner of the night. Yeah, I mean, I I do love these kinds of word guessing games, and it looks it looks like something that's really really interesting and unique. Tim, what's your? Uh, do you get to play many party games like this, uh, or do you mostly you know you're you're playing with your fiance? You're doing more smaller group focused games. What, what's your party games attitude? Um, I love party games. Um, I feel like when you spread them out between party games and like complex games, it like I, I don't mind it at all. So Clover, um, like how Will was describing, it really reminds me of Medium with uh, having two cards together and kind of having to associate one word uh, that links two words together. Um, so I feel like this one would be a really big hit in our group too. I'm kind of interested in getting this one too. So Clover. That Yeah, I can't believe it. I remember even thinking Medium when I was reading the rules. But yeah, that is the exactly the same idea, except you are doing it yourself. You don't okay. have to uh-huh. collaborate with someone. Well, you do. You just have to watch them try to collaborate and guess what you were thinking. Um, but yeah, I will say, by the way, 
with the exception of Castle Party, like I said, I was waiting for someone else to finish their large miniature game. This was a six uh, a six group night. That's why there were so many of these party games. I was like, all right, what do I have that fits six? <laughs> this <Right>. fits six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Eclipse fits six. All right. So that, that's a whole bunch of party games that I didn't get to play, but they all sound, uh, at least to some extent, pretty interesting. Obviously, I'm curious about Dinosaur World. And oh uh, yeah, I mean, I I mean I like Dinosaur Island, uh, Dinosaur Park. I no, no, you were right the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's because the the movies are yeah, it's not Jurassic. Um, and like I said, you can everyone can watch just just watch me as I try to uh, play through it, and yeah. it, it's interesting to see what they what, like. It definitely seems like oh, this is a lot of the same DNA as before, mm. and I'm obviously I need to play it a lot more. I've only just played solo. And I know the first thing that came to mind after I finished World was like, I know when we do the review video for this, because I obviously I'm going to want to. I'm going to have to ask the question, is it worth it to have both? Ooh. And I don't know the answer to that yet. All right. Stay tuned for that. A little bit of a little bit of an intriguing tease there for you. Uh, so I did not get the chance to really play any board games in the past week. It was, it was kind of a kind of a break from that. But uh, what I did do was a tabletop adjacent activity that I thought might be interesting to talk about on the podcast. A few weeks ago, we were guests on the Codenames Live game show. And during the after show of that, which was also part of the Twitch stream, uh, the host, we were talking all about, about all kinds of different board games and things. And he showed off this magic puzzle series. Uh, and I thought that sounds very interesting. And since I'm an impulse consumer, I thought I would purchase and try one of these. And this was a Kickstarter. There are three of them. They're called Magic Puzzles. And they're just made by the Magic Puzzle Company. <laughs> and they are jigsaw puzzles that you put together on the table, just like any other jigsaw puzzle. They're a thousand pieces each. Uh, but there's a, a, a few twists with these ones. So I have just done the, there's one called the Mystic Maze, and it is not, um, um, it, it, it's not like your typical puzzle in a couple of different ways. And I also haven't finished it. And there's also maybe some elements that I wouldn't want to spoil if I had, because once you have finished the puzzle, there is another envelope with more pieces in it. So there's something that happens afterwards that there, there will be more for you to fill in that you didn't know about to start with. And the other thing with this puzzle is the sh puzzle pieces have really weird shapes. So it's not your typical, mo most of them are your more or less your typical puzzle pieces, but there's like one that's really big, like three times as big as all the other pieces. And it just has multiple things will connect to it. There's some that have are curved and rounded in different ways or you know how when you do a puzzle you usually the best thing is to separate out the edge pieces and the corner pieces first mm -hmm. um you can do that in this game but some of the edge pieces are in the puzzle <laughs> like sometimes there are p sections of the puzzle that are their own individual region that feels like a corner but it's not the corner of the entire puzzle so oh, like it actually has like a square Yes. In it. Yes. Or a circle and, and the pieces actually form a round edge. So like 
it could be it's it's if you're used to doing a lot of jigsaw puzzles like this will definitely challenge you because you can't just rely on the techniques you always use um and i have never been a jigsaw puzzle guy really i used to do them when i was a kid and enjoy them but not like it's never you know during the pandemic everyone started doing puzzles and i kind of went like what's why is everyone doing puzzles? That's boring. Play a board game. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've had a lot of fun doing this puzzle. And I also, in this endeavor, had to go out. I went on, go out. I went online, of course, and purchased what is called a puzzle mat. And a puzzle mat is a, a thing that you do a puzzle on. And when you are finished with it or not finished with it, but you need to do something else, you roll the mat up. And it stores your puzzle the way that it was so that you can put it away and use your table for other things and not worry about it getting messed up. And uh, there's there's like good versions of this. There's better versions. I bought kind of a cheaper one, which eh, so far it seems to do its job good enough. Uh, but it it is an interesting world that I've started going into. I've enjoyed this magic puzzle and I also saw some other puzzle thing on kickstarter recently that i also backed because i guess now i'm a jigsaw puzzle fan <laughs> i don't know i don't know what's <laughs> what i'm turning into uh but they're doing like fun new ones that aren't just pictures uh, this one too has like easter eggs so once you're finished with it there's like a checklist and you can it's almost like an i spy or a where's waldo you can be like oh can you find all this stuff that's hidden because there's really cool art at least in the maze one that i've been doing so I don't know, magic puzzle. Tim, you ever you ever do jigsaw puzzles or hear about like any of these new kind of versions of them? Um, no, I haven't. Um, I usually so like I'm really bad at puzzles and also um don't have the patience for it. <laughs> like <we do. laughs> uh, but my fiance loves them, so I always see her do it all the time. With the magic puzzle though, it says like I'm looking at it now and it says like there's a little surprise at the end. Is that the where's Waldo thing that you're talking about? I think that might be the the second envelope aspect of it oh cool yeah so it's like you think you're finished but maybe there's a gap or something and then and then you take this extra bag out and there's more pieces and more puzzles to do yeah i mean if oh man i can i can just imagine you can make someone go insane be like i'm missing a piece (laughs) i don't i don't think it's like that it's not like it won't be like a piece in the middle of the puzzle it'll be like a new section will open up or something uh, yeah, it's if anyone likes puzzles, I mean, definitely check it out. And even if you don't, maybe uh, just give it a try. It's a you know, it's a good, uh, it's a fun little activity to do. Maybe while you just listen to a podcast or with a couple of friends and just kind of help out with it. Interesting stuff. That's the magic puzzle. All right, so we talked about a lot of a variety of games, light, heavy, to some things that aren't technically even games. And now, Speaking of games, we're going to finish the show by playing a board game game. I have a board game game for the two of you to play this week. Uh, we are going to bring back uh, what's it? What did I call it again? Oh, yes. Box <laughs> art breakdown. Box art breakdown. The way this game works is I am going to describe the cover of a board game box uh, in terms of its colors and shapes without talking specifically about what is being depicted on said box cover. And it is up to the two of you. If you think you know what it is, you can buzz in and try to guess what game I am describing the cover of. Oh, this sounds hard. (laughs) Now, last time we played, Will cleaned up on this. (laughs) 
he really he really knew like these titles pictures. or or these these art artwork but we'll see we'll see i will tell you this uh these are all modern games from you know the last decade or so i don't have any monopolies or anything like that so there's your there's your clue but uh we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes all right first up and it's also it's also a challenge for me this game to try to describe these without giving things away i have not prepared for it at all other than having these pictures up so the first one is here buzz in anytime you think you have a guess uh or just yell it out you don't have to actually you can say buzz you can do whatever you want <laughs> this one we have here i is d- divided into three rectangles i would say almost like you're looking through a, a movie screen at the center of the box is where like the main action is the background the top and bottom have an orangish reddish rust like color to them uh, and in the center uh, there's also some some orangish reddish. There's a little bit of green. There's just a little bit of green cropping up here and there and some brown towards the bottom of the frame, as well as two individual shapes that are more of like a pale white uh, towards the uh, right. Buzz, is this <laughs> Terra Mystica Ares Expedition? Uh, hold on, because rethink what you just said. <laughs> oh, terraforming Mars. <laughs> uh, it is not Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. That was still a very impressive guess, though. It was oh. a very impressive guess. I heard reds with two, two white color, and I'm like, oh, it's the suits. Um, there is a... <laughs> there is... Um, the title is at the bottom, also kind of in a pale pale coloring <laughs> is it terraforming mars i gotta just say that now before i feel stupid yes it is just wow. the original terraforming mars <laughs> of course i i'm gonna be honest i can't picture that box cover i was just saying that because i'd feel worse if it was that. yeah aries expedition has a lot less orange on it than than the original it's much bluer all right. Well, there you go. Now you can see already the you can see your competition here too. i know. i will i am counting on you sir <laughs> all right next next box art all right this one much more colorful than the last one we've got blues greens reds oranges yellows it's a it's a big beautiful explosion of color um there's mostly blue at the bottom of of the box uh feeding into some some green white and red but in, in the center there's Oh boy, there's there's like five or six, I would say six different primary f- represented figures. Buzz. Uh, yes. Marvel Champions. It is not Marvel Champions. No. Good, good, good. I like where you're going with the colors, but you are uh, you're free to keep making guesses. There's no rules in this game. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Yes, it, it is. I mean, similarly to Marvel Champions, there are there are splotches of. Of, of, of figures that are leaping into frame almost larger than life the most of the background is also blue the title is at the top of the box with a brown uh, frame oh brown frame never <laughs> brownish brownish frame <laughs> um there's definitely uh almost like a watercolor look to this it looks very illustrated 
I don't think it has brown, but maybe I'm completely remembering wrong. Is this the DC deck building game? No, it is not the DC deck okay. building game. But now we've covered both sections of the comic book industry, so <laughs> we can eliminate those. Uh, let's see. How can I start giving? I'll start giving some side clues that that might that might help out here. This this is a game. Uh, there's definitely a, a a natural look to the to the cover. Uh, it's certainly it's an outdoor scene. And there's the the borders have more brown and red. It's really all about your your attention is really drawn to this big, these very splashy colors in the middle. Heavy on the blue, blues and greens. Almost like it looks like a like something from Moana. <laughs> wow. Hmm. Oh, oh, is, it is title this? Oh. What was the what was your guess? Oh, sorry, title blades. No, oh, really good guess it, though. It, is it Blue Lagoon? No, it's not Blue Lagoon. Oh boy, you're dancing around it, both of you though. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a publisher, and I think it might give it away. Is Greater Than Games? Greater Than Games. This came out in 2017. Hmm. There are multiple expansions for this game. It's uh, relatively popular. And it's on the heavier side, I'll say as well. <laughs> we are given up, no, no takers. Mm. Spirit Island. Yeah, it is Spirit <laughs> oh, Island. <God>. All <laughs> right, one of Will's yeah. favorite games. Oh, I thought you'd have that one. That was a hard one. <laughs> All right, that's good. You're on the board. That one's hard because there's almost too much color. Like there's nothing specific to latch on to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Six figures. Like who is that? <laughs> okay here's here's our next one i think there'll be a, this will this will be a little more straightforward perhaps this one is very you know where spirit island is very there's like a lot of curves and round shapes this one is very staid very uh, very geometric uh, right angles and things like that there is a, a corner at the top that's blue and then the opposite corner is red and underneath there's a lot of gray there's a lot of gray on the bottom with one singular uh, black figure at the center of the box. Uh, so again, the big, big takeaway is the top left corner, very blue, top right, red. And they're just like straight up rectangles in the left and right corner. This sounds like what should be the the cover for code names. <laughs> uh, maybe not too far off from code names in some ways <laughs> that I won't elaborate on. Uh, within the blue and red rectangles, there are also individual. Each one has a shape in it. Uh, the one on the left is white. The one on the right is yellow. So you've got yellow on red and white on blue. Is it a Zool? It's not a Zool. Hmm. It's hmm, what else can I say? The uh, I'll say the shape on the left is a star. There's a star in this blue rectangle. And again, mostly gray. There's like a gray grid almost running across the bottom half of the box that this black shape is at the center of. And some blue, some lighter blues in the background of that as well. <laughs> almost, almost flag-like, the way that the the way that this one is laid out. The look of those colored rectangles at the top. They're, it's very more muted colors on this one. It looks, it's not nearly as flashy or 
I would say, uh, alluring as Spirit Island is. It's more muted, looks a little more old school, retro kind of color color scheme. Any guesses? It's a very popular title. Scythe? Not Scythe. Hmm. Can we get a publisher? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll give you the publisher. GMT. Oh, um, I know the game. I can't name it. Oh, GMT Games. Oh, no. Very popular uh, game. Oh, God. I know. I can picture it. Might have I'm been, so... maybe in, at one point, something. Number that, one, yeah. Well, I was going to say, could have been in the running for a Zenobia Award in another universe, perhaps. Oh, oh my God. I, can talking. we have the first letter of the title? <laughs> <laughs> the I know first, the game. I don't know the name. The first letter is T. <laughs> Twilight Struggle. I was like literally wow. like I'm screwing this name up. I know I mix it up with another game, but I can't picture. It. You got it. It was Twilight Struggle. There's a guy walking up some gray stepping stones. There we All go. Right. All right. All right. Those are All good. Right. That was a good one. We'll we'll keep moving. We'll keep moving. All right. This one is okay. This is another nice, warm, inviting cover. There's all kinds of colors in the background, yellow, purple, blue, green. And right at the center, drawing all the attention is a big orange shape right in the middle. Big, nice, round orange shape on a background, on a multicolored background. I think that's all you should need for this one. (laughs) Orange shape. I think after the last few, Jonathan, you should know that that's not true. <laughs> Very distinctive. Uh, the title of the game is up above in purple, if that helps you any. Uh, but it's a, it's a distinctive cover from a distinctive artist. Uh, and it's very inviting. It looks like you just want to you just want to walk into this box art and take a nap. <laughs> uh uh risk (laughs) (laughs) yeah you always want to take a nap on the battlefield of risk um there's some in the back not dicks it i'll say in the background amidst the colors there are patterns there's stripes there's polka dots Uh, oh oh, calico calico that's the one yeah okay you need those patterns to forgive it to you okay okay are we are, are we tied up? You guys each have two. Let's just say you do. Why not? We'll do one more. <laughs> we'll call it the tiebreaker. All right. Our last one for today's board game game. This one is a primarily a white box, but on the box there are shapes, hexagons that are black. At least the outlines are black. Some of them are shaded in. Some are not furnace no it is not furnace Hmm. they these hexes do have also colored shapes on top of them or within them i suppose you i should say uh green brown blue again just a white box the title is in a bright yellow i don't think that is hexes but i'm gonna say it's a concept no it's not concept okay I was like, there's a bright yellow bulb, but I don't think there's hexagons on there. 
Yes, primarily hexes, which I'll also say represent the, the pieces in this game. So black and white hexes. Uh, oh, uh, is it Hive. It's Hive. Ooh, that it's was quick. Hive. Nice. <laughs> A game buzzing with possibilities, they say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think you guys did very well uh, on, on, this, on this box art breakdown episode. <laughs> so congratulations, points to both of you. And especially experience points to you, Tim, for being our guest today. We appreciate it very much. And as a reward, you get to spend those experience points right now telling everybody listening how they can follow you online and keep up with all the awesome content that you make. <laughs> well, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, it was so much fun being here, you guys. So uh, appreciate it. And oh, yeah. you can find me uh, at Tim Chuan. Um, anywhere, YouTube, Instagram, <laughs> just type that in and you'll, uh, hopefully you'll see something. Yeah, a hundred percent. We will put links to, to that, all your websites and all that stuff in the show notes to make sure people can, can check you out. Cause you do, you, you're a lot of different places. You do, you do a lot of things <laughs> and they are worth checking out. Thank and, you. uh, I guess we need to establish some kind of a system for Roland F criteria and also receiving some level of experience points. <laughs> um uh maybe I'll you know what he gets uh, 20 experience points today how about that and we'll, we'll, I have no idea what the leveling system is cuz we usually do it by milestone so I don't know if that <laughs> Yeah, we'll figure it out. Well, we did our first 5 or so with a traditional XP. Uh we'll we'll make something happen for for Roland as well. Uh but for Roland and for everyone else I say thank you listeners if you would like more roll for crit stuff then you can absolutely check us out at rollforcrit.com where we have links to all of our youtube videos and other goodies uh, and again if you want to hear the full history of roland you're going to want to head to our patreon page patreon.com slash rollforcrit uh, where you can listen to that full episode we get bonus episodes every single week uh, and if you want to talk to us on our discord server on social media you can rate and review us on itunes which is free and also helpful we would appreciate all that stuff again Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm Will. And this has been Roll for Crit. Thanks, guys. <laughs>